This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. The week began with some intense criticism against the Doug Ford PCs over a decision to close the COVID-19 vaccination clinics on December 25th and 26th, and then only opened them in reduced numbers on the 27th and 28th. It was retired General Rick Hillier, who's heading up the vaccine distribution process in Ontario, who took the blame for the ill-advised decision and promised it would not happen again. Joining me as I filled in for Libby Snymer on Tuesday to talk about the misstep, our strategy panel of John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner Fleischman Hillard High Road, Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Toronto's Office of Earnscliff Strategy Group, and Karen Stintz, CEO at Variety Village. The expectation was that we were going to, you know, ramp up. We had um, a, a plan, a rollout plan in place. And the other challenging aspect of it was there was some mixed messaging. Uh, one was that there was staffing shortage. Uh, then there's doses being held back. Then it's not a matter of staffing, but pharmacists that had to mix the doses. And for everybody, you know, including myself, who have facilities that are closed, it's certainly frustrating because, you know, there's a lot of people that are on hold, literally, their lives are on hold, their, um, their jobs are on hold waiting for this vaccine to roll mm-hmm. out. So everyone's sympathetic to overwork staff, but, you know, you, you kind of want to get to the bottom of it and fix what you can because we just don't have time. Charles, what are your thoughts on uh, the shutdown for a couple of days? Doug Ford can be very glad that he has General Rick Hillier in place because, um, you know, notwithstanding what appears to have been a bit of a public relations disaster in terms of taking the break, Hillier has accepted full responsibility, demonstrated ample leadership, um, and has really taken the bullet for the Ford government. Um, You know, at a time when um, the vaccination rollout is proving challenging in Ontario. I mean, we're, we're last in the country right now in terms of uh, per capita injections, and that may have a lot to do with, with the size of the province and, and just how difficult logistically it is to, to move out the product in, in a reasonable way. So hopefully in the coming days, according to General Hillier, we'll be up to 100,000 vaccinations daily um, by the early spring. And um, so I I'm not terribly upset at what's happened, and and I see it as a tempest in a teapot. Right. But what about you, uh, John? I mean, I guess part of the problem here is that people didn't realize that the vaccination clinics were shut down until after they were shut down. Yeah, I think I think the intent obviously was was, you know, heartfelt in the sense that they wanted to give the the you know, first responders and, and sort of healthcare workers and, and healthcare professionals a bit of a break with respect to just given the fact that they've been, as, as Charles alluded to quite correctly, you know, they're, they've been the heroes of, of 2020 and, and have been flat out since March, quite frankly. And I thought there was a sense that over the Christmas holidays to give them uh, a breather so they can start fresh and, and with some bigger, you know, 
back in, uh, you know, when the holidays were over. So I, I, there was no question that the intent was there. Obviously, the practice and the messaging might not have been there. And I think that resulted in, in what you know, we saw with Rick Hillier sort of basically saying, look, we got slapped. We, we understand. Uh, we're, we're back up now in full speed and, 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 and moving ahead. So there's, there's, I think there is, there is that, that mixed message. But, but I think the intent was sort of to give the health workers, there wasn't anything malicious in, in a sense that, uh, you know, they wanted to do something or, or wanted to break because of, of whatever reason, other than to give health workers uh, a bit of a, a bit of a, bre- a breather. But, you know, the other issue too, I think is, is that, you know, the vaccines that Canada got and, and, and that, you know, the prime minister was, was, was able to negotiate it. And thankfully we were able to get some, uh, you know, before the end of 2020, but it wasn't a lot of dosage, you know, and it wasn't a lot of vaccines that come, came to Canada. So when you dispersed them amongst the provinces, um, they were very limited in what they were able to get. And that's why you're getting the question now with respect to the Pfizer vaccine, especially because there was the first one out and, and the first one that was received here in Ontario, and I would imagine across Canada, uh, because it needs two doses. There's that discussion with respect to, well, let's give everybody as much as we can uh, of the first dose and then hold off on the second dose based on us getting more uh, vaccines, uh, supplements in, in, in phase two, which apparently is supposed to be at sometime in March, uh, and or Moderna, uh, as we're starting to see that shift out as well. So a lot of that is, is also the fact that we just didn't get enough vaccines from, from the beginning, but, but I think that now that we've got them and we're getting them, you'll see the, the, the province certainly disseminate them as much as possible. Yeah, as that's, as possible. I think that's, that's an issue here as well, because we know that 90,000 doses of the Pfizer vaccine, uh, were received in this province. We're waiting on 53,000 doses of the Moderna vaccine. But to date, uh, General Hillier said this past hour, 14,100 vaccine doses have been administered. So in terms of providing confidence to the Ontario people, Karen, uh, that doesn't seem like very many of the original 90,000 doses to date. So it it almost makes you wonder how quickly can they really do this? Well, it is. And and I think that's that's the issue at stake here is that if you know, nobody would, I, I think people would understand if healthcare workers took a couple of days off if we were at the same vaccinate, vaccination rate as every other province. But if we're short staffed over Christmas and Boxing Day, we're just short staffed. And so it's not an issue of taking two days off. It's an issue of are we adequately ramping up to be able to vaccinate the province when we have um, an infection rate that is continuing to grow and we have um, everybody is again waiting to be vaccinated so that they can either reopen their business get their kids back to school um, for frontline workers so that they don't have to live in fear of catching COVID for long-term care facilities that are have been battling this since March there's that sense of urgency that seems to be missing and in spite of all the goodwill gestures there is a remaining question is this rollout plan going to effectively vaccinate Ontarians Mm-hmm. And I think that's the question that, yeah, everyone's taking responsibility. That's great. Can we actually get this done? And, well, and that's the question that needs to get answered. What should be done uh, from from Premier Ford and those around him? Well, we're in the first five minutes of the first period. And what really matters is where where we are as we get later into the game and ultimately what the final result is. I mean, it is this is the most difficult part of the rollout, just given that we're we're at it really for the first time and you know there are countries that have had a lot of success so far in terms of getting the country getting the vaccine out israel bahrain mm-hmm. i mean these are countries that would fit into etobicoke in terms of their geographic size so it's only natural that larger countries like canada like the united states like russia 
are going to have a lot more logistical challenges going forward. But I'm, I'm actually very optimistic that the people who need the vaccine will get it in short order and that we will really, in the spring, move into massive vaccinations for the entire province. And I think the July timeline is completely feasible. And, you know, once we get good at this and once we have pharmacies online, I think it's going to it's going to work out very, very well. So I'm pleased with the work the federal government has done. I realize there are some challenges at the provincial level, um, but it's early days. So let's just let folks have a little bit of time to work out the kinks. And I'm quite convinced that we have every reason to be optimistic. John, how about you? Are you feeling optimistic about uh, the plan so far? I am. I'm, I'm very happy with with respect, and I've, and I've given credit to the to the prime minister for getting the vaccines uh, as 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 early as he did, given the fact that there were some some early confusions with respect to us not being able to get it until 2021. So the fact that we've seen over the last you know few weeks um, vac- vaccines being uh, dispensed, I think, is, is really good news. Uh, I am heartened that that you know there is a phased approach to this, and that they're expecting some 15 million doses by March. Uh, and, and beyond. So I do think that, that, you know, as, as Charles said quite correctly, that, you know, this is early on. I think the fact that we're getting the plans going, the fact that the, the, this task force that's being led by Rick Hillier is seeing that there are some bumps and that, you know, once they, once they see the bumps that, that uh, they deal with them and more importantly, that they don't repeat them, uh, going forward. And I don't think they're going to, uh, now that they've seen how, how things are. Are, are, you know, are going to be moving out. And I think more importantly too, Jane, is that we're getting other vaccines. So it's not just the mm-hmm. Pfizer, which of course is the one that is the hardest to store and, and, and to ship. Uh, Moderna's now coming in and then we've got Johnson and Johnson and others that are, are on the heels of, of getting approval as well. So I think that, you know, multiple vaccines coming to, uh, uh, to us in, in 2021 is, is going to be good news. And, and I suspect that, you know, more and more, uh, Ontarians are going to get vaccinated over the course of the next few months. Fight Back's Tuesday strategy panel. John Capobianco, Senior VP and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto. And Karen Stins, CEO of Variety Village. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, how will you know when it's your turn to get a COVID-19 vaccine? You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We all want to know, when will I get my COVID-19 vaccine? Retired General Rick Hillier, who's leading the distribution process in Ontario, provided an update on Tuesday, revealing 1.1 million healthcare workers, essential caregivers, long-term care and retirement home residents, along with First Nations communities, and then essential workers will get their shots first. After that, and starting in April, those 
Ontario residents 75 and older will have the opportunity to be vaccinated, followed by those 65 to 75, and so on down the age ladder. While in for Libby, I was joined on Tuesday to discuss the new information by Dr. Carrie Bowman, Assistant Professor of Family and Community Medicine at the Temerity Faculty of Medicine, and Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, Family Physician and Founder of Prime Health Clinical Research. I'm excited by it. I'm excited that he's keen on getting as many people vaccinated as possible. The big news item of today, of course, is that they're going to be vaccinating more people instead of holding off on that second dose. That comes as huge news because what that means is that for Canada, having received the 249,000 doses from Pfizer, they will be given to 249,000 individuals instead of half of that number. That's expected to reduce the number of symptomatic infections by as much as 42%, a huge reduction. So I'm excited by it, but we've got to ramp it up. Now, Dr. Gorofenko, I'm interested in knowing about this. So say they use up all of those as first doses. What happens if somebody's not able to get their next dose within the 21 days? Is that problematic or would that be figured out in advance? Well, the best data we have on that is from other vaccinations. And if we consider even the shingles vaccine, that can be given as much as a year later. Okay. If, you know, for hepatitis A, hepatitis B, all these other shots, if it's given later, it's not that big a deal. What matters most is getting that first shot. Okay. And Dr. Bowman, your thoughts on the process to date and the update given by the general this morning? Yeah, well, I, I would agree with Dr. Gorfinkel. I was very, very relieved to hear that they're going to, you know, focus on single shots first. It, it just makes so much more sense scientifically. Um, and, you know, there's some immunity that goes with it, as, as we've just heard explained. You know, if there has to be a delay, there can be. But look, what's really tough with this is where do we go next? You know, you might call it the second wave. We've really got broad provincial and, and even national consensus on, on who to go to first. You know, vulnerable people, people that take care of them, long-term care, all the important, important stuff. But where do we go next? You know, um, Hillier's comments would, would, it sounds like we might just sort of come down the age ladder inch by inch. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe, you know, that's okay, I guess. But when you get down towards below 60 and things like that, is that the best direction to go in? Or do we have other considerations? Do we look at, Who's actually spreading it? You know, should should vaccines go? If, if we were to say our data shows, and I'm not saying this is true, that the, the real spreaders are between, what, 18 and 25, do you say, okay, well, let, let's get on top of it by going for them? Like, what do you do? Or is society's goal, we cannot be economically crippled anymore? Who do we vaccinate to get the economy rolling? Um, so, you know, and I think it's not clear because they don't know yet exactly how it's going to roll out. Um, I follow this as closely as I know how to do, and I don't get it. You know, I don't know because I think they don't know. I mean, I think when we start, you know, descending below, I, I guess, 65, I mean, you know, these are lines in the sand. But when you start going much lower than that, the question would be, is that, wise in terms of all the other objectives we have with society or not. Now, you know, that's beyond my qualifications. But I these think are what we need questions. to do here is look, look firmly at who is dying of the disease, who's in yeah. the hospital, and that has to guide it. It's, mm -hmm. it's quite simple, actually. 
you know, why, why, why was long-term care chosen? Why rob a bank? Because that's where the money is. That's the very same concept here. So the people who are the sickest, the ones who are the most likely to die, the ones who are most likely to get seriously ill, those are the people who are first in line. Their their caregivers have to be given the vaccination. And, of course, hospital workers, those who are hospitalized. You know, the big questions arise, what about the immunocompromised? The fact of the matter is, some immune response is better than no immune response. And a messenger RNA vaccination, as what that's, that's what the Pfizer vaccine is. That's what the Moderna vaccine is. Guess what? It has no virus in it whatsoever. That's a key point to understand, that the likelihood is it can be given to all populations and safely. So there's data going on now. There's ongoing research. What about pregnant women? That's actually a somewhat immunocompromised state. But that's not where the deaths are occurring. That's mm-hmm. not where the severe illness is occurring. Yeah. So the answer is give it out to those individuals who are most likely to be hospitalized and most likely to die from the disease. Dr. Bowman, does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. But my question would be, when we've done that, where do we go next? Um, I agree with that fully, fully, fully. And, you know, we could look at, you know, who's who's really at high risk and who's at, you know, uh, high risk, but maybe a lesser risk. So I think we've got a strong consensus on that. I, I'm looking, projecting towards the future uh, you know, the future months towards spring is to, and I, it might not be overwhelming. If we have enough vaccines, it might not be as difficult as we're making it appear to be. But where do we go next with it after that? And I'm not minimizing. I mean, the most important goal is right now. Mm-hmm. And and I think I, I agree fully with Iris on that. Yeah. We can't wait to get that Moderna vaccine. You know, no, no, we can't. We've got uh, 249,000 doses of the Pfizer, but we're getting another 170,000 doses of the Moderna by December 28th. The biggest difference is that Moderna can be stored for up to 30 days in the refrigerator that I have as a GP on Young Street. Can you? So most I, GPs have that kind of fridge, two to right. eight degrees for 30 days. We can do that. We can't do the Pfizer vaccine. That's the big problem. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a it's a much more friendly vaccine. Uh, maybe you can both help me with this. Um, the general this morning was encouraging Health Canada to make the Moderna vaccine a one shot deal. What was that all about? Do either of you have any thoughts on that? Absolutely. The Moderna vaccine has a 50% efficacy two weeks after the vaccine has been given. Wait another two weeks. One month after, you're at 92% effectiveness. So that's an evidence-based statement. So that's opposed to a 95% efficacy. You know, so what's the difference? There is no difference. And he's absolutely right. We're following in the footsteps of every other province or many other provinces simply because that's what makes the most sense. Okay. Why would we vaccinate 85,000 people when we could vaccinate 170,000 people with that same vaccine? We have to cover as many people as possible and give the booster shot later. Okay, Dr. okay. Dr. Bowman, on that request to Health Canada? No, I agree. I agree fully. Uh, there's no question about that. I mean, you know, I, I think if we've got the vaccines, we can make some really good decisions. I mean, what I, I go back to, you know, what's, what's the access going to be? And we don't know. Are they going to start really rolling in? It's very hard to get that information. We're off to not a great start. And I don't want to be overly negative here because this is a tough, tough thing to do. But we're not off to the best start in the world in Ontario or even in Canada. 
So let's hope more and more come in. But I agree fully with Moderna. I, I, again, I think our bigger challenges are going to be after we get through that that first threshold, where do we go next? And, you know, I speak as an ethicist, which I am. I, so I'm looking at the ethical challenges that would lie ahead. I think we've got pretty broad consensus and we can really follow the science in these early stages as much as possible. The vaccine registry is absolutely imperative. We need to be following every single person who's received their shot, when and where, and which press they've received in order to better understand down the line which vaccine is, in fact, the most efficacious and safest to get. Dr. Bowman. You know, I, I think we've got to go for transparency, and we, we've got to hold our leadership accountable. You know, the delays over Christmas, that did not go over well, and nor should it. And it's good because it's, it's pushing people to act in a different way. We have to voice our concerns as to how this rollout is happening because this is a democracy and that's what we need to be doing. Dr. Carrie Bowman, Assistant Professor of Family and Community Medicine at the Temerity Faculty of Medicine, and Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, family physician and founder of Prime Health Clinical Research. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Marilyn in Lindsay phoned to say she's skeptical about the reasoning provided for closing the COVID-19 vaccination clinics on December 25th and 26th. Like you're saying that it was heartfelt that uh, the government wanted to give people day time off. I'm a retired nurse. We always got time and a half for Christmas Day and Boxing Day. I suspect they're trying that they want to save money. Do not think that would be in in the mix in their thinking. Michael in Mississauga called about his displeasure with how Premier Ford and General Hillier are handling the COVID crisis and the vaccine rollout. First of all, thank God the Premier stopped with his daily clown show. I, I kept expecting clown music to play. Do, 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 because he had nothing good to say. Every day he would just say the same thing. And then with his stupid announcement, I'm going to shut down the one of the largest highways in Ontario and cause how much extra economic uh, uh, disruption uh, by um, testing extra people from the airport because he says the federal government can't do it. And then General Hillier saying, oh, give me a mea culpa. I made a mistake. You mean they didn't know for how long that this virus uh, had to be uh, had to be stored uh, the vaccine had to be stored at a, a low temperature. And I've heard people say that uh, news people, the Ebola vaccine had to be stored at a low temperature. Give them a Makoa, give them a pink slip, and put someone else in charge who knows what they're doing. You can't fire the premier until an election, but you right. can fire General Helio right now. Joan in North York wonders why there isn't a focused plan to get more personal support workers into long-term care. 
I hear all this talk about we don't have enough PSWs. What are we doing to encourage people to take the course to become a PSW? Um, and where do you get these PSWs? I don't, I hear people talking about it all the time, but there's nothing being done to pay them to take the course and to get in there and work. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Queen May, who called from California to tell the story of her aunt, who was a resident of Tender Care Living Nursing Home in Scarborough. Our aunt tested positive on December the 18th. Um, the family tried to follow up on her condition. There was very little information being provided. We had to call. We were constantly bugging them. Um, we were told that, you know, she had no symptoms in the beginning. Um, then we were told that she wasn't eating. Um, and, and next thing we know, we were told that she needed to, to, be, um, to be admitted to the hospital and that her condition got worse. The doctors um, told us that she was severely dehydrated. Um, she was having difficulty breathing and that she basically wouldn't would make it and would have four, 24 to 48 hours to, 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 to you know, to, to, so that, that's it. That, that was her time. On December 27th, we got the call that she passed. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, so so as, as we are still processing this tragic loss, we are seeing and I think hearing from other families that there is this pattern where they tell us nothing, you know, everything's fine. We don't hear from them. And then next thing, next thing you know, you get that tragic call. Yeah, there, there's clearly a mess over there, and, and they need so much help. And I, I, I think we're starting to get some attention with the families protesting and all of that, but there's, there, there's, not, there's not enough time. There, there needs to be more and more to be done to save the families that are still in there. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. And have your say anytime on our Fight Back voicemail at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.